DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Just had Dan Feldman on about uh, half an hour ago, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Very upbeat on the Jazz uh, future in Orlando. Whatever that tournament looks like, 22 teams it looks like, probably will be invited to Orlando. Not a done deal yet, but the NBA's got a Board of Governors vote coming up on Thursday, and then we'll know for sure. And uh, he was pretty upbeat on the Jazz and how they might uh, do without Bojan Bogdanovic. We'll talk about that with uh, Steve Cleveland here in a few minutes. If you missed the interview with Dan, it's up uh, on our website at 1280thezone.com and uh, on Twitter at the Zone Sports Network. And uh, you can uh, listen to it there. But uh, it's pretty pun- Of course, he was also just thought the whole thing could be wide open because. As we all know, there's no way to predict how these guys are going to come back after two to three months off. Are there going to be a a wave of injuries? You know, off watching these other leagues come back, I wouldn't think there's going to be a wave of positive COVID tests. I think that seems like, well, possible, it seems unlikely. You see these other leagues are are testing guys and the percentage of guys are testing. I know they're in other communities, so the numbers can be different. But it doesn't seem like that's the biggest worry. I am very curious about how these guys come back and are we going to see a lot of, you know, hamstring injuries and quad injuries and that kind of stuff. I know they're trying to prep against that, but you can't help but wondering how many guys are going to have these small tweaks. It seems like a small thing, but when your legs are messed up, you can't play basketball very well. I mean, those two things just don't go together. No, but I don't think most guys these days, it's not, oh, go to spring training, get myself in shape. You know, Yogi Berra, what hat size or what cap size do you have? I don't know. I'm not in shape yet. And I don't think it's that situation. I mean, there's going to be injuries. There always are. But I think these guys, man, their, their bodies are literally worth millions. And I think most of these guys understand that, and they protect their bodies at all. Because I remember Tom Seaver, I read something about Tom Seaver. He wouldn't sleep on his right side because his right arm <laughs> meant that much to him. So uh, I would suspect that there's some form of shape. I mean, what Joe Ingles said I thought was real interesting in that he feels like he'll be stronger because he's able to, to work out from the weightlifting perspective more because it's harder to do when you're running all the time and doing as much yeah. cardio as basketball players do. It's virtually all the time you're on the floor. I've heard that all the time about NBA players in the season. That if they're going to add, add muscle, they have to do it in the offseason. That during the season, just the number of calories they burn running is just not going to happen. So uh, it makes sense when Joe says that. All right, DJ and PK, we're joined now by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So uh, with the NBA potentially poised to restart here on Thursday, uh, we had Dan Feldman on, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, who doesn't think that losing Bogdanovich is necessarily that big a hit to the Jazz. It could turn out to be that way. Do you think the Jazz are capable of picking up that 20 points a game he brings? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things that Conley started playing well, and, you know, in his role, um, you know, he had a significant role and then kind of disappeared for a while and, and then he kind of resurged again. So, um, you know, I, 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 my gut feeling is that they're not the same team. Doesn't mean they can't do things differently and other people take different roles, but you'd much rather have them than not. And, uh, I think that Conley has to take a more significant role. Joe Ingles needs to score. You know, both those guys need to be 15 to 18 point night games if they're going to take Ludonovich's place. But, um, they'll step up and, and 
Uh, everybody will some some guys will assume some new roles. They'll have a little less depth. I, I think are they allowing them to pick up a couple of extra players before they get started again? If somebody maybe somebody's out there that's available, but uh, uh, I, I you know I think it's it's a pretty significant loss. I mean you're talking about a guy who's eighteen nineteen a game, um, but there are people there. They're pros. Uh, I think Conley has to take a major step forward and. Uh, and I think Joe Ingles does too, in terms of just having that mindset to score rather than just being a distributor and taking the open shots that you get. They got to be both have to be more aggressive. I don't want to get too political with you because that's not the point of our show. But I do want to ask you something regarding of what's going on in the world with these protests and and looting and all this stuff. In my mind, we you know we saw some of it down here in downtown Salt Lake City on Saturday, and my thought is. Maybe some of it could have been mitigated if just a couple miles to the west the Jazz were in a home playoff game. And my point for you, and you've been there at the ground level, so I think you're very much qualified to answer this question in terms of how much you have seen sports, in your case basketball, from people of all different walks of life, particularly you know, with you at the foreign guys that you've coached and junior college kids that you've brought in that may have some so-called baggage but how much can sports bring people together well i think it can bring people together in ways that hardly anybody else can and i and what we're what we're seeing here there's so many layers to to this ignorance and selfishness and you know, and, and and a lot of people have used a lot of different words. I, I think Dale Murphy over the last few years, you know, the systemic issues that we have, they are systemic. And these, uh, it's not just the United States, it's throughout the world. And uh, so when I think about sports and I think about the character traits that one must have to be selfless, to be hardworking, to be a good teammate, to uh, help a guy up, uh you know, I, I'm not saying that you can't find prejudice and uh, racism in, in, in teams and organizations uh, of sport, but you see a lot less of it there than you would uh, what we see happening in the real world. And if you take the take the attributes of good teams, you know, the, that's those are the things. Uh, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe that you know, we uh, I love God and I love other people and I equally, and that's that's, what, that's how I'm going to live my life. And we we love each other and we support each other, and that's what we see teams doing. And that's why when we see teams come together, they're so united. We've talked a lot about culture, but that culture, you know, includes uh, treating people with respect, treating people, trusting people. You know, all the character traits that make intangibles that make teams great are the things that are that are missing in our society amongst uh, different factions of people. And I'm not here to characterize any particular group, but at the end of the day, we're, we would be really naive to think that uh, there are a lot of things that have been going on for a long, long, long time. This darkness, I think it was Martin Luther King who said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Only love can do that. Well, you know what? I've been on teams where you, you, when the season's over, that's one of the first things that guys talk about is how much I love playing with his teammate, how much I respected him. And those qualities that we learn as small children growing up in our homes or wherever, our churches, whatever, you know, those are the things that are missing in our world right now. And it is problematic, and it is, it's painful to, to see the insensitivity towards others of color or gender or whatever, the, whatever it is. I mean, I, 
um, it, it's hard for me not to bring my faith into, not, not my church, but my faith into the fact that, you know what, we, we got to be treating people better, and we shouldn't stand for this. And uh, it's, uh, we, we need more inclusion. We need to be more humble. We need to be kinder. And, uh, and so the one thing that sports does uh, no matter what color they are, whatever their what background is, whatever their economic financial situation is going like, they're together. And that's always been there. I mean, that, that's the one thing about sport is that it's always been there. And for the fan base, it's something that they can connect to and be a part of that family as well. And, you know, if we treated uh, other people like we do our family and our favorite teams and favorite players with such adoration and love, well, you know, everyone deserves that kind of, attention and respect and so if you just look at your own life and see where you feel the safest you know it might be following your favorite team or a favorite coach or someone in your family but there's always that love and and that respect and there isn't uh what we're seeing today and and i i think you know sometimes you got to learn to walk in other people's shoes and uh and i do i i do like the idea i mean i'm not a I'm not on social media as much as you guys are, but I, I, I watch enough and hear enough to see athletes, black athletes, white athletes, Asian athletes that are stepping up and, and sharing that, you know, there's, we, we can't tolerate this. We, we, we can have a say in society. And you know what? These athletes can't. And uh, the thing that was disturbing to me is watching communities, in, in, in your own, like you said, in your own community in Salt Lake, to see, see to see what happened and how how that deteriorated so quickly to from completely away from the point of the whole purpose of peaceful protesting and recognizing the absolute wrongs that are going on in society and then to do the looting and the destruction and 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 and, and oftentimes uh, people of color's businesses I mean it's just insane and so yeah I do believe that sport is a good thing but it can't be just to get our mind off it they have to have a voice. I, I think our athletes and our coaches and the community leaders have to have a voice in this, and they need to be heard. And I, I think that offends some people. They get they get uncomfortable with that. They will way past getting uncomfortable. We've been mistreating people in this country for a long, long time. And so, who who do people who do the young people look to? They, they look to their athletes. They look to people that are in the public eye. And when someone can get in the public eye and speak intelligently about how we should treat each other, I think it's a really, really good thing. And so I, I think that added responsibility of being a role model, we all, you know, nobody wants to, I'm not, not a role model, I'm not a role model. You know what? We need role models. You're going you're gonna to take on and put the hat on of being a professional athlete. You, you've got to understand that people are watching you and that they, they looking at your example and in a world where things, a lot of things are broke, these athletes have no idea. Some of them have no idea of the influence for good that they can have. So I'm all for – I have no problem with uh, an athlete or anyone in any profession stepping up and saying something that's intelligent and well thought out and that's kind and loving towards another man or another woman. So, uh, yeah, I, I believe sports can play a big role in this. So, Steve, I've had occasion over the last seven or eight years to um... – learn a lot more about poverty and hunger, how pervasive it is, 
and just the grinding nature of poverty, how it just wears people down and takes hope away. And on one level, you know it, but then you learn something else. And it's like peeling back an onion. And every time I think I know it, then something else happens. And I learned something I didn't know, you know, three months earlier. And I think that as a basketball coach, recruiting, you go in neighborhoods and you meet all kinds of people, and especially as a junior college basketball coach, maybe even more than D1, because you're looking for diamonds in the rough everywhere. Uh, My personal opinion is that as much as this has been about police brutality the past week, as well it should be, um, but the background to this is that it's like the dry grass before a fire. Poverty just sets a tone, and then something like this happens, and everything goes. But can you just talk about the poverty you saw recruiting kids in the Central Valley long before you came to BYU? Yeah, you know, we were, I've been in a lot of homes and in the inner city, and not just in, in California, but around the, around the country. And, uh, you know, you know the... I mean, even even when I was in Indiana in the mission, I mean, I, I was in the, I was in the inner city a lot, and I saw poverty firsthand. And uh, but one of the things I will always remember is that no matter how impoverished their conditions were, no matter what their circumstances were, there were moms and dads and aunts and uncles who loved their kids and who wanted the best for their kids. And I, you know, I, they were. It was never a situation where I went into a home, it was more, they, they, they appreciated me being there. And if, you know, if I had assistant coaches and got treated with such great respect and I always went away from those experience, recognizing that they may not have a great deal of money. They may not have the resources that a lot of people have, but they got what's really important. They, they, they have great love and respect for their children, their grandchildren. And you could just see the harmony in the home when you go in to visit those places. And, and I, I, I had some choice experiences being in homes where, uh, you know, mom was raising two or three children. Uh, there's an uncle or a big brother. There just, the family, it was just a familiar experience when you went in there, and regardless of what their circumstances were. And I'll tell you what else happens. And to this day, that where I have gotten really close to young men that were junior college players, and especially now that I'm older, and when you have an occasion to run into somebody, run into a, a mom or a dad or somebody, and we just have a chance to sit down and talk about a really special time where in their minds, hey, thank you for giving my son an opportunity, but, you know, hey, thank you for supporting us and, and, and encouraging him to come to our school because he played a huge role and influenced a lot of people for good and it was great for the institution. So, um, now I, I've had some really choice experiences with people that to, to this day that when I see when I see them somewhere or I get a text or uh, I, I get a little letter from somebody that that's one of the really great payoffs for coaches is when former players will or families uh, who really have struggled will just you know share some gratitude with, with you regarding you know maybe your your small role that you played with their son and uh, those things mean the world to me. And that, that's, you know, what's interesting about this time. There's, there's been a lot of really good things that have happened as a result of this pandemic outside of the health issues and the death. And, but the, the, the positives, there's some positives here, too, where people uh, are really connecting with each other and families are connecting with each other. And we're spending time with each other and when, and when in times in the past we maybe haven't done that. 
And so, you know, yeah, we're looking kind of for a silver lining. This pandemic is horrible. It's, it's, it's just, you know, you just, it saddens you to see the number of people that are dying. And, and uh, but I, I look around in my community here, and I mean, just in the neighborhoods, I don't know how it is in your neighborhoods, but people are walking down the streets, stopping and talking. And hey, how, how people I don't know, you know, that, and I, they don't know me. And it's just, a, it's incredible to me what's really important in life. And you know that you probably had some aunts or uncles or maybe even parents that have passed. And you start, I've, I've met with enough people that in the last days and hours of their lives, you know, what was most important were family, how people treated each other, love and respect for each other, the dignity that one shows. Those are things that, that matter. And uh, you know what? Black lives matter. White lives matter. Asian lives matter. I mean, it, it absolutely does. And we've forgotten that. We have forgotten that, unfortunately. But I learned a lot of those things when I left. You know, I came from a middle-class family that didn't have a whole lot, but I had a dad that taught elementary school and taught him, you know, sold shoes at Sears after work. And, uh, you know, mom doing a million things. And so I had an appreciation for what I did have. And, and that's due to my family and my mom and dad. Not everybody has that. But when, when you go in to an inner city home and you sit down with them, uh, you can just sense and feel the love for their children and the protection of their children. And uh, it's, it's really, really gratifying. Some of, the, some of my sweetest experiences were on the road with, uh, in, in the inner city and uh, doing anything I could do to maybe help that young man, whether he was going to come to our school or not, but just reaching out to him and uh, not, had nothing but love for them and nothing but love for us. And that was really the, a big part of it. Even if we didn't get a kid, funny how you, you get close to people, even when they don't come to your school, you'll see them around. But when that, you end up playing that young man, he comes over, hey, coach, uh, hope you're doing good. You know, thanks for all you did for me. Uh, though that's what life should be about. You know, it's kind of how we treat each other. How much of that then responsibility when you go into these places and bring a kid, or even if it didn't, but especially if the kid does decide to come to your school, how much responsibility did you feel then to the family of that kid, in, in addition to the kid himself, to make sure that things are okay in his life? Well, you do feel a lot of responsibility for all kids. Well, you know, whether they were a kid that had far less than another, but you, you know, it's one of those things that you become kind of a surrogate father, mother. Mind me, my wife was very involved with the young men. You know, oftentimes you have kids coming from other countries, and uh, you know that relationship. Some of them had mothers in their homes. Some of them had dads in their home. Some had both. But when you're coaching, and you could ask any coach, you take any of the coaches and their wives and their children play a significant role in making sure that when a young man leaves his home and, 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 and is homesick or uncomfortable and hasn't made friends yet, you embrace them. And, and that's what great organizations and programs do, whether it's in business or in sports. It's making people feel loved and trusted and safe. And when they start feeling that way, then they perform at the very highest level. So, yes, you absolutely do that. And I think the thing that sometimes makes it difficult is, you know, when somebody's not playing and, and where circumstances change and, and uh, you know, maybe that individual's not getting the kind of playing time, they, they deserve to have conversations. I mean, I, 
the thing about coaching, really, you do a lot of things on the floor and you put systems in, and but a lot of that is done by assistant coaches. A lot of the things that are really important for a head coach have to do with off the court, and those you know those opportunities to to go you know walk on campus and have have a drink and and talk for thirty or forty minutes and find out what's happening in their life or have them over to your home on the weekend or whatever the circumstance might be, and you you start developing that trust. You start recognizing you can teach them what it means to be honest with themselves and others and what it means to be selfless and, uh, you know, what it means to be accountable. Sometimes you have to take young men, no matter who they are, no matter what color they are, but you need to take them away from the team and have those moments that uh, you, you can share what you believe to be right. You know, and integrity is a word we use loosely, but, I mean, integrity is a big part of any organization. And one of the things that I tried to teach is that when, you know, doing what you say you'll do is really important <laughs> in anything you do in life. And uh, uh, we, we see, obviously, a society right now where people don't understand that principle. But these principles are universal to all walks of life, to all types of businesses, to all types of organizations. And uh, I think sometimes we forget that. And so for me, that was a really important piece. You know, I, I, I'd like to have won more games. I'd like to have won more championships. But today at 68 years old, you know what really means a lot to me is when a former player texts me or calls me, checks in with me during the, the pandemic, hey, how are you doing, coach? I mean, that makes my day. And that, that didn't happen by accident. That, a relationship had to be developed. We had to be connected. And uh, that's on a small, you know, in, in my small world, but we really need to look at the big picture of that as well, you know, in terms of these connections and what we can do to better get along and have a different narrative and uh, less tolerance for the things that we've seen happen here, uh, not only in terms of the police, because I do believe, as many people have said, you know, 99% of the police are good people doing the right thing, and obviously there are some that aren't, and it's disgraceful. But, but we're, we're in a situation, too, where we have people right now that are out, you know, protesting and destroying property and destroying, you know, businesses and doing things. And that, that, that's, that's that there's something's broke here, you know, and we need to address that. And uh, our leaders need to address it. But we all need to address it. We need to talk about it. I think there's a lot of things that, especially as it relates to color, that we've all been kind of hesitant to talk about. Is it appropriate? Man, everything should be on the table right now. It's time. And, uh, and hopefully, whether it be through politics or your church or your friends or organizations or your businesses, we all need to be a little more enlightened about how we treat others and uh, how, we, how we are treated by ourselves. And, and those things are really, really important. So I, it disgusts me to see buildings being burned up and destruction going on. That, 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 that's so harmful. I recognize that sometimes you got to get people's attention to make change, but uh, I'd advocate a, a more peaceful way, and, uh, and and certainly it starts in our homes. You know, if you're a young father and mother, you start teaching these principles, the simple principles. You know, to love others like you'd like to be loved yourself. You know, it's a pretty simple thing. So I don't mean to be uh, pontificating here, but 
I, I think everybody just is kind of disgusted with a lot of things that have been going on in our country for a long time. And uh, if it, this brings it to its attention, it's, it's just shameful what happened. But uh, hopefully from this, we can be better. Steve, thanks for a few minutes. As always, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Take care. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And now, attention top of the wire on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. NBA is planning a Thursday vote on the of the league's board of governors with owners expected to approve Commissioner Adam Silver's recommendations on a format to restart the season in Orlando. According to numerous reports, there's growing support for a plan to bring 22 teams to Disney's ESPN Wide World Sports Complex in July. The NBA needs a three-fourths majority of owners to approve a return-to-play plan. The Major League Baseball Players Association delivered a return-to-play proposal to MLB owners that includes a 114-game season, deferred salaries in the event of a canceled postseason, and the option for all players to opt out of a potential 2020 season due to coronavirus concerns. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby said he has growing optimism about the college football season starting on time. I'm bullish about our opportunity and more so than I was 30 days ago, Bowlesby says. Top of the Wire is brought to you by Action Plumbing. Action Plumbing, heating and electrical, spring into action now. Mention this ad and receive $33 off any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Both sides need the other, and both sides would suffer some pretty serious consequences if they don't play. Remember that baseball, among many things that it is, is a content factory. The number of games that baseball has is crucially important to the overall business model of the sport. You think about the advanced media component, um, and just the consistency with which the game is played is a huge part of its identity. That's John Morosi. Fox Sports talking about the baseball negotiations, the owners and the players. The owners made a proposal, the players made a counterproposal, 114 games instead of the 80-ish that the owners were talking about. They're still a long ways away, and the thought is they've got about a week to work this out. That The timeline as far as the uh, mini spring training is going to be acquired and then the days needed to play the games before the weather turns, that it's, uh, it's go time here. And we've seen baseball cancel a season in a World Series before. Seems like an incredibly bad time. Not that there's ever a good time. But this seems like an incredibly bad time for it to happen. I do think that it's interesting that the owners have had a really wide series of reactions into how they paid the front office employees or not paid them and how they have paid or not paid minor league players. And they're all wealthy. But some have more cash than others. Some of their wealth is tied up in assets. And if you don't have the cash, you know, the pinch is on and you're going to make different decisions. And I think we're seeing that play out right now. It'll be interesting to see if all the owners are on the same page because they have to be on the same page if they're going to cut a deal with the players. And then there's the whole deal with the players. How much, 
how much of a cut are they willing to take? They took one in March, and now a second one here. I, I can see them not playing because we've seen it before PK, but it just seems like a horribly bad idea, and everybody should know it's a horribly bad idea, so there must be a deal out there somewhere. In my naive world, I would agree with you, but you know nothing really surprises you anymore, uh, particularly when it comes to business. So I can't say that, yeah, you're right. I mean, you're, you're, in principle, you're right, but you would like to see something come to pass. I just don't know that it's going to happen. And what level of giving in is there going to be? I, I just think now, man, now, man, more than ever, get back out on that field. Give us something. Even if it's small, you know, a small step in terms of bringing folks together, whatever that might be. You know, most folks aren't a baseball fan, but nevertheless, there's a significant portion who are baseball, basketball, football, soccer, golf, tennis, you name it. No matter where it, what it is, there's enough folks that maybe there's a way that they could they could bring it together if it's used in the proper manner. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby said he's grown Optimistic, more optimistic. He's got growing optimism about the college football season starting on time. His quote, I'm bullish about opportunity and more so than I was 30 days ago. Also, your guy, the hammer, has a uh, story out in the San Jose Mercury News. Did I oversell that a little bit? Uh, that uh, and he talks to a stan- an epidemiologist, the director of uh, this is this is an awesome title here, a professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at UC San Francisco, the world-renowned biomedical research institution, the director of UCF's prevention and public health group within the school's Institute for Global Health Sciences, who is also a Stanford season ticket holder since the 70s, and he lays out exactly how college football can come back. And so I thought it was interesting to see that story, and I saw it a couple hours after we saw the optimism from Bob Bowlesby. But UC San Francisco is the kind of place I would think the Pac-12 has gone for some advice. That would make sense. And uh, they got a guy who's who's a football fan and a a big-time dude in the world of epidemiology saying, this is how you do it. And he he lays it out three tests a week. It's expensive. They also talk about how the cost uh, will probably be coming down. Uh, pretty quickly as businesses ramp up to make the tests. Uh, but he lays it out for him. so I guess there's, there's a plan. It's not a hope, a wish, and a prayer. It's a plan. Season ticket holder since the 70s. I wonder if he prefers Plunkett, Elway, or Luck. <laughs> he doesn't get into that, and that would be a great follow-up <laughs> for this story. Uh, oh, and Rutherford is a college football fan, specifically a Stanford fan. He's owned season tickets since the Jim Plunkett era. So there you go. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty good series of quarterbacks right there for Stanford. If you're just going to throw out three names, those aren't bad names. Those are the three that came to mind. I mean, there's been others who have played in the NFL. Trent Edwards, mm-hmm. Stenstrom. About a number of guys, you know, they may not have been big right. and made it at, at the big-time levels, but those are three obviously very much recognizable names that played at Stanford. Stanford has had a, hey, I would say, a pretty good tradition of of having quarterbacks we'll see now in a year or two if the next one will be the great latter-day saint quarterback who went to stanford mcgee tanner as McKee. you know yeah is he gonna be interesting to see because this is going to be another lds quarterback who was all that 
but didn't pan out at the collegiate level because there has been a number of them for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, I don't know why. I, I'm not sure what those reasons are. But uh, is it in any higher? It? Is it in any higher rate than other four and five star quarterbacks who don't pan out? My guess would be no. I can't say that for sure. But we've done this. We've talked about this. I've written about this. All you got to do is type in elite eleven quarterbacks, and then the list comes up yeah. when they first started that. And elite eleven is it's it's a blessing and a curse. I think at the same time because I forget the specific statistics. But I think 60% of those kids that are listed transferred, and then there was like 50% of those, and I'm, don't quote me specifically, but a fair number of those kids transferred more than once. So not only did they not make it at school A, they didn't make it at school B. And they probably didn't make it at school C because that's why they transferred for the third time because they're hopscotching around trying to find a place, and it doesn't work for them. And they came into it with such high, high hopes and publicity behind their games, but yet they they don't make it. We'll see Tuttle here. Is he going to be the latest? You know, he's on school too and doesn't look like he's playing right now or going to be playing in anytime soon. I don't know. We'll see what happens over there in Indiana. Uh, would he transfer a third time? I mean, it's crazy. But... They get tagged with these labels, and the way recruiting is now, it's, it's, it's more hype than ever. And it is, to an extent, does more disservice than ever. But that's the reality in which we live in, in the world that we live in for sure, is we know about these kids, and they get that Elite 11 thing, and they get tagged. It's gonna, and, you know, the U's got this another, another kid here who's going to be a senior in high school, and we'll see, and hopefully he works out. But, you know, there's just no guarantee on any of this stuff. And we'll find out. The NBA's got a Thursday vote plan for the league's Board of Governors with owners expected to approve Adam Silver's recommendation on a format to restart the season in Orlando. 22 teams, 16 playoff teams, plus six more teams that are within six games of the playoffs. And there's a lot of competing things going on here. Certainly teams want to f- uh, get over 70 games and get that um, – uh, commitment done to get the full payoff from their regional sports networks. But there are teams that are so removed from it, and the players have been shut down for so long, and there really isn't much interest in the team. They just they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to come back. They don't want to restart. Uh, they're ready to get ready for next season. Uh, uh, you sure about that, though? There's multiple... Oh, yeah, I think there are absolutely teams that don't want. I don't think that just because you're a bad team you want to shut down. I think some of the bad teams that are uh, younger probably would want any practices and games they could get a hold of. So I don't know, and I don't know that we'll ever get to know, I don't know that the eight teams that aren't going are all ecstatic about not going, but I do believe that there are some of those eight teams that are ecstatic about not going. Well, yeah, you're going to get a a divergence of opinion in just about any topic. But I just was thinking when we had Feldman on and he was talking about how they play meaningless games. Okay, the year before the Jazz made the playoffs – that was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was the year before. Those games, playoff-wise, were so-called meaningless. But yet, I think they set the foundation for the following year, and it hastened the Jazz management's decision to go after veterans. And they knew it going in. I remember having that conversation with Quint Snyder, and he said, well, we're going to give you stuff to talk about this season 
and he meant either good or bad because that season, after they had a very nice finish post All Star break, I think that's the way it played out. If yeah. my memory serves, I, no, I think you're right. Yeah. Th- that that Quinn looked me in the eye and he, he had a kind of kind of a grin on his face, like, "Hey." expectations now are ratcheted up. And we know they not only went to the postseason, they won a series, but there was something to be said. Now, maybe this situation is different because there's not enough games and it's really funky. There's not a two-month-plus, three-month layoff. But still, I do think playing games, I just don't see how that's going to hurt you. Now, the Warriors, they're the exception. I get it because of the injuries and the guys they've got coming back. They, I'm, We're all expecting them to be much better in the future because they've got a proven commodity, but that rarely happens. The rest of the teams, uh, Phoenix, Sacramento, Minnesota, uh, although See, Minnesota, I don't know the towns would be back anyway, but the, these teams got some young players, and it seems to me if they got, that's the old proverbial, we got 15 practices <laughs> for our young guys. You know what I mean? We hear that I every do. year. And See, I think that the team that is the best comparison to the Jazz right now would be the Pelicans, but because the Pelicans are – Within that six games, they're one of the right, twenty-two right. teams. I don't, I don't coming count back. them for right. sure. Yeah, right. Uh, but I, I just look at the the thing. The team I think that's way out of it that might want to come back. Atlanta's got some young guys, and they might. What you say? The fifteen game that that might make sense to them. Now they're only a twenty-one team. They are. 10 wins behind Orlando, who's 8th in the East. So Atlanta would not be included in this group of 22. But I can see where they're a young team that has an upside. I don't, I don't really see how the Bulls, the Knicks, the Pistons, and the Cavs want to come back. I don't see why the Wolves and the Warriors do. Well, I would see why Phoenix would. I mean, they got a first-year coach with a bunch of young guys. And it's interesting. They are six games out, so they would be one of the 22 then. Yeah, where did they come up with that six games? I, I don't know how they did. Well, they need an even number of teams, I think. Uh, oh, yeah, obviously. And so, I don't know. And I, I don't know how they came up with that. Maybe it was talking to some of the teams that were eight and ten games out, and they were going, hmm, no yeah, thanks. <laughs> and if they don't, I want to make sure that it's abundantly clear. If they decide to go in this direction, I'm not going to be outraged by any stretch. Well, I, I'm not clear on Phoenix. I I think they actually might be out, but they're sitting right on that six-game line. I don't know if six games puts you in or out. You know, uh, I don't I think know it's to... in. I think it's in. I think listening to Phoenix Talk Radio, they were talking about their their team coming back. But if I okay. were those guys, if I was that organization, I would most definitely uh, want them. I would want right. Monty they... Williams to be around my guys as much as possible. It's Actually, I should have been able to figure this out. They are the 22nd team. That's 22. Charlotte's seven games out, so they wouldn't be coming back, and they'd be Team 23. So, yes, Phoenix would be coming back. So, and maybe that's what it comes down to. Maybe that's actually 22 is the line where they found the teams that wanted to play and the teams that didn't. Because yeah. there's also the health angle to this, is the fewer people you bring into the bubble, the better chance you have to control the bubble. Well, I guess statistically that's right. most likely true. Yeah. So, but I am a little surprised that none of these teams that are way out of it said, "Hey, we want to fi- we want to finish this TV deal and we want this money back from this, uh, you know, our our regional sports network deal." I, I got to admit, I wondered if there was a team that was going to be ten or twelve games out that would want in on that, and maybe they do, and the commissioners just told them, "Too bad, it just it doesn't work." You think he said, "Hey, sucks for you." <laughs> I bet he said it a little nicer than that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, as, as, but the essence, essence of it, message, it would be, yeah. it would be, yeah, right. <laughs> You're walking away from a lot of money, but it's an odd number of teams, and we can't find anyone else who wants to come in and make it 24. 
All right, that's some of the stuff we've been talking about in addition to uh, the discussion that has, uh, if you've heard any part of the show, has consumed most of the show about everything we've seen on TV over the weekend and really over the, the past week as the protests turned into riots and looting and, uh, and as we saw curfews imposed. And we talked with Steve Cleveland, a basketball insider, about some of his, uh, his experiences and then what he's seen and what he's hearing from his ex-players who've called to check in on him. Uh, DJ and PK, there you go. That is stuff we have been talking about during this show. And it is all brought to you by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at lhmdeals.com. Your feedback next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time for your feedback. And it is brought to you by Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 999 South State or AudiSaltLakeCity.com. So the question of the day has generated a lot of response. How much do you want us to discuss the events of the past few days on the show? Uh, Ablo at Four Small Fries says, May I suggest never shutting up about it, and maybe using your platform for blacks to say something. The events will not stop until there is change. History shows us that. All right. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, Tommy said he wants to hear zero about it. Zero. So, Tommy was a little disappointed with the show today. I think zero is, is bad. Uh, I think zero is impossible. I don't see how we can come in today and never reference it. I understand that, but I still think it's bad. Yeah. I mean, it is impossible, but I'm trying to put a value judgment Okay, put on a value judgment. It is bad, yes. We, we've seen too much not to talk about it. And it does impact sports, and sports figures are weighing in. Uh, we've seen from commissioners to uh, players, statements, social media. How, how can we possibly ignore it? Right. I, I just don't want to be overly preached to, because I'll be the first to admit I have thoughts but to think that my thoughts are just unilaterally correct and nothing else should be discussed and I have the perfect solutions, that's a whole lot of garbage because <laughs> it's just not true. Yeah. Clint says turning a blind eye does a great disservice to all the athletes it impacts daily. I can buy that. To which Utah Cameron Crazy adds, actually, this is a great take. Don't turn a blind eye. Should be open in discussing the issues, then in parentheses, peacefully. Issues need resolved. Discrimination of any kind isn't okay. Yeah, I would just like to see all issues rather than the finger pointing. And I turn on the television, and I obviously you saw the text that the guy or the tweet the guy sent at me, uh, taking a shot at me. I got it. I and mean, that, that's what I'm here for, buddy. I don't know why in the hell you listen if you don't like me, but nevertheless, uh, so take the shot. I want all issues discussed. I don't, I don't, once I start the finger pointing, this side is wrong, this side is wrong, that's, that's part of the problem. This drives me crazy. I want all issues discussed, honestly. Let's find roots of the problems and find ways to correct roots of the problems rather than just look at it superficially, superficially. But that would take, as they say, the hard discussions. I don't know if it's going to happen. All I can do is bring it at a personal level, and how do I treat my fellow fill-in-the-blank? Nathan says, nothing else to discuss. What are you guys going to do? Another 30-year-old stale version of the Mount Rushmore of dot, 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 dot. <laughs> now we just did that last week, Nathan. <laughs> Got to give that one a rest. 
Yeah, I think that's a shot because I brought it up last week. I know, but we're going on three months without a game, so you get to do a Mount Rushmore show once in a while. Well, it was with the passing of Jerry Sloan, obviously. Yep. That, that's what triggered it. Brett says, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar editorial. Discuss what some of our sports folks are saying. Morgan Scally has some good stuff, too. That's from Brett Davis on our Facebook page. I read uh, Abdul-Jabbar's piece, and you know Morgan has had some thoughts, too. Sure, yeah, of course. Everyone has thoughts. All right, DJ and PK. Uh... NH Rather wants to know last word. Are you not going to cover the Lance 30 for 30 as much as the last dance? I'm not. No. No. <laughs> it's pretty unanimous. I can answer that question we're not, right now. We're no. not going to do that. We play the hits. I don't think that's a hit. All right. DJ and PK, we're out of time. Scotty and Hands are coming up. They're next on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.